Georgia, 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 Georgia. Welcome to the Georgia High School Football Chat Podcast with Smitty and Banks. I am Coach Travis Smith. My co-host is Coach Terrence Banks. What's going on, Coach? Man, I can't call it, man. Um, week one for some of us is in the midst and we'll be done by the time people hear this podcast. So uh, just getting in the floor of things, my brother. And I know the rest of everybody else who's chomping at the bits to go on the 15th. Uh, God bless you. And some of you guys who have to wait, man, it's okay to be patient. Ain't no rush, but uh, that, that's it. Yeah, you one of the luck ones, man. You got you the guinea pig, y'all. You got started early. You know, we like we we next week, so we're gonna see what mistakes everybody else make and try not to make those same mistakes. But uh, I'm glad uh, yeah. people, glad people are able to get back to uh, a little bit of work. But um, uh, we got a great episode uh, lined up for our guests uh, for our people today. Uh, before we bring our guests, uh, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about our poll from last week. Uh, last week we asked coaches uh, what their main concern was going to be uh, heading into the 2020 school year and football season. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, some of the feedback we got from coaches. Yeah, man, the biggest um, the biggest answer we got, let me say this to coaches, man, we love the comments, man. When you give us comments about the poll, just don't vote. Leave us a sentence of two thoughts, man. We mm-hmm. actually leave some thoughts so that we can read them and be critical and discuss your thoughts on the show. Um, the number one concern was the altered school day at 55%. 21% was having fans in the stands. 15% was number of regular season game, and 9% was other. Um, the altered day school format could be a, a serious issue for schools that are Title One. or kids have problems getting to school. I think you have to... Um, to, to you know, think about those things as you go along and see what it is your school is trying to do. Um, but you know, if your kids are not every day, how does that affect you, man? And I know I've been places where that could be a problem. If your kids come Monday and Wednesday, or if your kids come Tuesday and Thursday, if they come Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, you know, all of those things have to be thought about when you talk about that altered day uh, school format. Um, for me, you know, I voted for number of fans in the stands. Um, man, I got some fun on another podcast, brother. High school football without fans ain't high school football. Um, so I'm, I'm worried about the banning of Chile that I think we'll have them, but they look like from the corona aspect. What did you think about the poll? Um, I thought it's all, all four, all, all the answers that we, the options that we gave were viable ones, and then we had a couple people that um, uh, did leave some some uh, comments and, and brought up good idea. Uh, I voted for the altered school day because um, that that's it's so many ways that can affect you know uh, uh, what you're able to do you know as as a program. Like you mentioned, you know you have kids that might not be able to get uh, to to school you know or, or get to practice you know because they the bus didn't ride you know they were on a different day or 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 if the you know, if we go later in the day, things of that nature, so many different things that can be affected for the kids with the off to school day. So I think, you know, if if we went that day that with that route, it's a there's a lot of adjustment that, that would have to be made. Um, you know, I think it's gonna it's uh re, regardless of what, you know, what happens, 
uh, some type of adjustments are going to have to be made. But I think that one would cause the most would cause the most stress for us, you know. And I think, brother, you know, I I think that's a um I think that's a Metro Atlanta concern more than anything. The Metro area, maybe Albany, you know, with the Archer School that I think the rural districts in South Georgia, Middle Georgia. I think they'll be fine. Also, before I give it back to you, I'm gonna say this jokingly, then I'm gonna shut up. I wonder how that's gonna affect all those schools where the kids don't live in the school district. That's 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 another uh, another version of Pandora's box. You know, things that that can have a major effect. You know, you got plenty plenty schools. You know, and everybody has a few, um, some more than others. Kids that don't you know live in your district. Uh, you know how how is their transportation? You know, and things of that nature gonna be affected. I think. Um, just going through all of the, the options, having fans in the stands, like you said, you know, high school football without fans is not high school football. You know? But if that was the reality that we were forced to live in, uh, forced to live in, then you know it, it is what it is, and we'd find a way to make it work. Wouldn't be what we wanted to be, but you know we'd find a way to make it work. Uh, we've talked about you know the number of regular season games. Um, uh, being affected, we've talked about that before on other episodes. Uh, so that's definitely an option. One one uh, uh, write-in comment that was given uh, was Coach Mo uh, from Alexander. It was more of a generalized statement, but it made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, he said his major concern was that we try to get too much in. You know, if we missed a whole bunch of time, you know, because we've been out of school and things of that nature. And his concern is that coaches are going to try to make up for all of that time in these next, you know, two or three weeks. You know, I think that's a big concern as well. Uh, you know, coaches have to, you know, face the realization that that lost time is, is, is lost time. You know, you can't try to force the issue and get everything done, you know, that you may have uh, gotten done uh, if you had been in school. And things like that. I, I like that comment that Coach Mo, uh, Coach Mo, uh, shout out to Coach Mo. He's uh, uh, frequent, uh, frequent listener and, and commenter on our on our post. Um, that's something that I definitely more like. I said more of a generalized statement, but I think it covers kind of all of the bases as well. I think too, you know, and I say this, and this ain't really part of the conversation, but I feel this way 100%, brother. Is I think football coaches do too much. You know, what I'm saying I think we become almost like college coaches, and you know, and to me, and I say this, ain't no lost time. Everybody been out the same amount of time, so ain't nothing been lost. Everybody's at the same spot. There's nobody that's ahead of anybody else, and nobody that's behind nobody else. So, uh, you know, my comments and my thoughts are simply put, man. Coaches, we 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 trying to do too much, man. Get back to the basics, have fun, teach the kids. The games will come, and you can't quote unquote make it a long time. Like like you like you said, you know, everybody's on the same playing field. You know, the everybody was affected the same. You know, so. I think that helps level the playing field, but then at the same time, it lets you know, you know, that, you know, everything we do is not necessarily necessary. You know, we're able to to, to cut back a little bit. And I hope coaches uh, realize that and realize that, like you said, at times, you know, we, we do too much, you know. So hopefully coaches are able to evaluate and kind of, you know, uh, look at, you know, their, their way of doing things a little bit and kind of make some adjustments. Uh, that will allow, you know, a little more time to, you know, spend with family, things of that nature, and, and, and focus on things that, that really, really, really matter. You know? So uh, hopefully, you know, some good comes out of it. Um, you know, when the powers that be start making decisions, 
you know, like I always say, we're coaches, you know, we, we, we adapt and adjust to, to all types of situations. So when they give us some direction of, of, of what's really going to happen, you know, we'll figure out a way to make it work uh, the best for our individual programs and ourselves. So uh, uh, as always, a, a very good poll question. Uh, got a lot of votes and we had like 200 votes. So um, looking forward to continuing to uh, hear, hear feedback from all the coaches. Feedback, 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 coaches. Give us that feedback, man. Them the best polls, not just the folks. Give us your thoughts and feedbacks. We appreciate everybody who has given us feedback. And, you know, it just it makes for a good discussion. It allows us to get to the roots of your thoughts and give you something to think about before we get to the, to the podcast. Coaches, thank you for your input in last week's poll. Please continue to share your thoughts and opinions every Friday. At this time, allow me to introduce our guest for today's show. Our guest today is a legend in the state of Georgia. He's had successful coaching stints at numerous schools across the state. Currently, he's the head coach at Lithia Springs High School in Douglasville, Georgia. Podcast listeners, join me in welcoming Coach Corey Jarvis to the show. How you doing, Coach? I'm good. How y'all doing? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for joining the show, Coach. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Coach, to get us started, won't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your uh, your personal life and your and your coaching journey? Okay, uh, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, went to Albany State uh, as a wide receiver and DB. Played there, uh, ended up being a grad assistant after uh, my playing time at Albany State. Uh, left there, went to Chris County uh, in Cordell, Georgia. Was a defensive back coach, uh, I believe, ended up being a defensive line coach um, last year and special team coordinator. Uh, left Chris County to go to Merritt Persons, where I was the uh, defensive coordinator and head track coach. Uh, left there to become head football coach at uh, Martin Luther King High School here in Lithonia, Georgia. Uh, thought I was going to college to go to South Alabama, but my wife had different uh, thought process than I did. So, end up End up going to uh, Duluth High School in Duluth, Georgia. Uh, left there to try to get closer to where I'm originally from, Atlanta, and end up going to Mays High School. I uh, stayed there for three years. Uh, after I left Mays, I went to Dooley County, uh, two years as assistant head coach and special team coordinator, and my last year as head track coach. I'm sorry, head uh, football coach, I'm sorry. And then also after I left uh, Dooley County, I, now I'm at Lithia Springs where I'm the head football coach and athletic director. Gotcha. Well, Coach, you've been all over the state of Georgia almost, it seemed like, and uh, you've been doing this uh, for quite a while. You're a vet in the game. Uh, what, what would you consider to be uh, some of the major differences from a, from coaching aspect and as far as uh, the players of today? What are the major differences between now and when you first started coaching? Well, as far as the coaching aspect, it's going to be truly how, you know, innovative uh, offensive guys have become as well as defensive guys to try to keep up with them. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've always said that uh, the great minds uh, have adapted, in, you know, to where things are, are now in football with, uh, with spread and the different RPOs and screen pass option game uh, that has made uh, football – a little different than what it was when I first started coaching, where you knew you were going to see the eye, you were going to see the wing tee, and you were going to see the spread every once in a while. Um, now it's, you know, it's, it's faster. 
Uh, I think my offense coaches take advantage of uh, different rules that they get to take advantage of. Uh, But, you know, to me, it makes you as a defensive coach become more innovative as well, you know, with the firestorm or the one-name call, uh, things that you got to make because just to keep up with the offense guys and their tempo. And then as far as the players, the motivation is just totally different. You know, just to see – I always say that kids have changed – probably three or four times since I've been coaching. Uh, you know, you could probably win a kid heart rather with a chicken sandwich back in the days. And now it's, you're going to have to, you have to basically court that kid and, and like you will court your wife or something. Uh, it's just, it's just hard, you know, cause the kids, they, their motivation is totally different. Like I, like I've always told people, you know, you, you got kids walk the hall who probably should be playing football, but their motivation is not to play sports anymore and not to go, to college to play sport. Their motivation is just to be a regular student or to be a rapper or something. I don't know, but it's just different. It's different motivation for the, for the players now. And I think that says a lot, coach, you know, only about, you know, the differences as an offensive guy. I'm loving it, but it'll swing back around for the defense. It always does. But even for the kid, um, you know, when you started coaching, I was still in high school. We just wanted to play ball. It was a thing to do. Now, you know, as you said, you have to court them, um, and it's become so much a specialization thing where, you know, you have to talk kids into doing stuff. I remember, and we'll probably get to this later, um, but, you know, you, like you said, you was a head track coach. When I worked with you, all our kids either ran track or they ran track. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're you right. Find those kids, you got to force them or talk them into doing it because, well, I'm just a football player. I'm just a basketball player. I'm just a baseball player, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and I like some of the seven-on-seven teams, so I'm not going to go there because some of them are really productive. But it's become, even with football, it's become real specialized. So I, I definitely can agree with that. Um, one thing that I want you to expand on um, you are, you know, we talk about this, we've interviewed other coaches. We talked about people being, um, getting with the right name. Getting with the right name can can help you with some stuff. And so um, you have about a long coaching tree that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, myself, Lee Hanna, uh, shoot, Cahill, Connor, the AD at Tri-Cities, um, <laughs> Coach Carson, um, who took over at MLK, and I'm probably missing somebody. Uh, why have has working for you kind of been a jumping off point for a lot of us to become head coaches? What does that say about what Corey Jarvis does and learn on how to build staffs? I tell people all the time, probably the greatest football staff I ever worked at was at Duluth, and we went four and six, three years. But kind of expand on that. Well, I think, you know, when I became a coach, I worked up on the Clay Hill. And, you know, one, one statement Clay always said was he never wanted anyone, anyone on his staff that didn't want to be a coordinator, head coach. And I, I took that. Like, you know, all great or uh, good coaches are, are thieves. There's no, nothing new to, to, to the game, basically. And when he made that statement to me, I kind of took it and ran with it. You know, I was always the last person to leave uh, the field house on Sunday and Monday night meetings. I was always uh, the first person there. I was always trying to, you know, find new things and new ways to be innovative and come up with, you know, different ways to win. And um, 
make our kids successful. Um, and when I became a head coach, I said the same thing. And, you know, Terrence, you, you coached me at Deliver. You know I said it. I said, I don't want you on my staff. You don't have aspiration to be a head coach or, you know, a coordinator. Because I feel like, you know, as a coach, you're going to become, you know, just relaxed and you're happy and just okay. When To me, when you're just okay with just being an assistant, you don't have and you don't have that drive and that determination and you know that hard work ethic that that you need to be become a successful coordinator or a successful head coach. You're not going to be a great coach to me. You know, it, it's to me, it's, it's it's part of the game that coaches lead. You know, to go to uh, different staffs or become head coach or become a coordinator. And if you don't have that on your staff year in and year out, that means you're not getting your guys ready. Uh, and I feel like you know, just taking coaches to recruiting fairs, taking coaches to uh, the different events that you get a chance as a head coach to go to that's exposed those coaches to um, being able to do that. And the next thing is just networking. You know, when when I got with Clay uh, and Jimmy Hughes, I, I tell everybody I, it, it changed me as a person because I got a chance to meet people that I never thought I'd get a chance to meet uh, from the Rodney Walkers of the world, Dan Pitts of the world, these people that I had heard about in high school, you know, I'm talking about Nick Heidos type of guys that I actually got a chance to like meet. And I'm out there playing golf with your, your head coach with Clay Hill in high school, Phil Lindsay. And he like, he remembered me when I played at Harper high school. <laughs> and they, you know, that's to me, that exposure. And like I said, just getting, you know, in uh, those, your coaches in the mindset to want to be better than what they are, are the two biggest things that I, I think that, that helps you in getting your coaches uh, ready to be a head coach or a coordinator. Coach, I, I agree uh, tremendously with, with that first statement you made about how you, uh, you say you don't really want coaches unless they want to be, you know, coordinators or head coaches. I try as a, as a coordinator myself, uh, I try to take on my side of the ball with that same mentality. You know, I try to treat my coaches as if, uh, they're prepared. I'm preparing them to become coordinators. You know, even if they don't want to be coordinators at this particular time, you know, I still want to teach them the things that they're going to need to know in order to get to that step. I remember working for Willie Cannon at Langston Hughes uh, early in my coaching career, and he used to talk to me all the time about trying to prepare me to be a head coach. And at the time, I had no uh, no desire to become a head coach, but he was all he was always throwing tasks at me to try to prepare me. Uh, for that position, I think is I think is uh, those things helped out a whole lot to put me in a position now where that if I chose to take that route that I'm prepared for. So I, I definitely agree with um, with what you said about treating coaches as if you, they're preparing uh, to become uh, either a coordinator or head coach. Uh, coach, last a couple weeks ago in our Twitter poll, uh, we asked high school coaches about their approach to weekend meetings. Uh, and how it be affected by the new phenomenon of using Zoom meetings and Google meetings and things of that nature uh, to to meet as staffs and with your players. Can you talk a little bit about what your philosophy is on weekend meetings and what you and your staff do? Well, you know, I've I'm old school, so <laughs> it's a little different. But you know, like you said, with Zoom and Google Meets now taking over and showing me a different light. I, I think that I'm probably going to change a little bit from what I've done in the past, to be honest. But, you know, normally uh, Saturday morning, my coaches know they're supposed to grade their guys. They don't have to show up uh, to the field house or show up to the school. Uh, the only thing that I just ask that they just grade the guys and make sure that, you know, they have something to give the guys uh, when we meet on Monday. Uh, the next thing is 
I'd like to talk with my coordinators on Saturday to kind of, you know, help game plan uh, and time to tell them what I, what I see. And um, after that Sunday, we normally meet, at, you know, after church. So normally we meet about three o'clock. Uh, try not to keep them too long. And normally my offense guys always be the first one to get done. That's, that's just the way it is to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's been like that since I've been coaching. Try not uh, to keep them too guys, <laughs> the offense got normally from about three to probably about eight o'clock, something like that. Sometimes they get finished early in, in that, to be honest, especially if it's a similar game plan. Defense takes a little longer, so normally I try to stay uh, nine o'clock, ten o'clock at the latest. Uh, but if if it's a team that got a bunch of mess that we got to prepare for, it might be eleven or twelve o'clock deal. Uh, I even had, matter of fact, it was this year I had a, uh, the play-in game, I think I didn't leave uh, school to probably about one thirty, two o'clock in the, that morning. But I told the other coach to go home and the main thing that I saw, I would give it to them uh, that next day, you know, either by text or by email. But I wasn't, I wasn't going to make them do that. But, you know, it's changed because, like I told you, you know, back old school, old school, we came Sunday. Well, we actually came Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. We didn't leave to 3 then Sunday, we came in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we didn't leave to 12 o'clock that night. Monday. <laughs> yeah, leave Monday, coat. But yeah, Monday after practice, it was we go eat dinner, whether you eat it with the coaches or you go to your house. But at 9 o'clock, you were back at the field house or 8 o'clock, and you weren't leaving the 12 or 1 o'clock again on Monday. Same oh. thing on Tuesday. <laughs> Same thing on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, you came in at 8, or, you know, you, uh, you ate again, but then you just basically stayed about an hour and a half, two hours. So that was a short day. And then Thursday, we was all Coach JV. Then you started all over again when you come back on Saturday. <laughs> That's how it was. I said, if I ever became a head coach, I wasn't going to do that because plenty of times, especially when I got the married person as a defense coordinator, I found myself outthinking myself. And second guessing myself because I had saw so many plays and so many formations. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm I just I was I think I confused myself a lot by doing that though. So, but I, I, you know, it's just really more more than one way to skin a cat. That's just the best way to, to put it. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen people who don't meet at all and they're successful. And I've seen people who meet all day and they're successful. So I just try to take that happy medium and I cut it a little cut it down a lot from what I was used to. It's funny you say that because um, good friend of uh, Travis' teammate, good friend of mine, another one of your protégés, we talk about that all the time. The first thing we said we became head coaches is, I refuse to meet like Corey Jarvis had us meet. So it's funny that you say you called <laughs> That gives me a little bit more background because you thought you were being kind and we thought you were being a slave driver. Um, <laughs> I love them three years and it was some funny stories and times that could take another 20 hours on a different podcast, but uh, it's funny and and I'm (laughs) amazed and happy to see you growing with the time because old school Corey Jarvis is get your behind here three, let's let's do this work, Um, play some music, break it down, then go home after we ate. So it's good to see you. Good to see you change. You've been a head coach, boss, at um, 
so many different schools and so many different areas from Title I to, you know, urban, uh, rural. What's the one thing, because you've turned around every program you've been at, what's the one, or you've moved into the next level, what's the one thing that's consistent that had to be done in every program from, uh, from MLK to Dewey to Lithia to Duluth? What's the one thing they all have in common? Uh, I'm to discipline. To me, you know, our kids, at, even though, like I said, the kids have changed probably five or six times over, um, to me, kids still need discipline and they're going to need discipline and they want discipline. Like if you got a kid who's a five star kid, you know, he might be slightly prima donna or not. Like I've had them, you know, the prima donna type kid. Um, they still want some form of discipline. They still want to be coached. They still want to be, you know, addressed and, you know, taught, you know, spoken to as a respected person. And just, you know, basically from the understanding that you are there for them to help them to move to that next level because they're not at that level that they want to be at yet. You know, I don't, I haven't seen a kid that just walked into the campus of whatever school they attended and they were just, a D1 kid. You know, I don't care if they were six, five, three hundred pounds. They still had a lot that they needed to work on, at you know, at that age. And then, just to know that you have put them or molded their minds to understand that they're not going to be successful as they can possibly be if they're not doing the things that they need to do on and off the field. You know, from the academic part, from you know, we do the study hall, from us leaving study hall to going to practice, uh, from going to practice to getting your uh, after uh, practice snacks or from that morning where you got to check in with coach at 7.45 or 8 o'clock, whatever time it may be, uh, you know, turning in weekly progress reports, making sure that you're doing your community service hours, those type of things. To me, that's how you build that kid and then you teach them that if they're able to do that stuff on the football field, I mean on off the football field rather, they're, when they get on the football field, you're going to be embedded in their head that coach wants it done this way and this is the way I'm going to do it. And to me, that's the, that's the thing that at every school has been, has been the same, the discipline. Coach, I, I agree. I've only been at two schools myself, but um, I think that's kind of got to be your approach any time you're taking over a new program, especially if it's a, a program that's been struggling in the past. I think if you can, if you can install and uh, instill some discipline, uh, whether it be, uh, on the field, on off the field, in the classroom, if you can instill some form of discipline, uh, like you mentioned, I think uh, if you can fix that, then the X's and O's and all the other things that successful programs are able to accomplish, I think all of that uh, starts to fall fall into place. Um, well, Coach, you've uh, Banks mentioned a little bit, but you've uh, had the pleasure of coaching in a wide range of geographical areas across the state. You coached in Gwinnett, DeKalb, City of Atlanta, uh, you've been down south in Dooley, Crisp, and even Mary Persons. What are some of the things that make high school football different in the various areas of the state of Georgia? Yeah, I, I, I'm laughing because when I was at Cordell and when I went to Mary Persons, and those two places kind of spoiled me because it was just a one pony show. You know, even though, uh, yeah, I, I can't even remember Chris Academy down in Cordell, it's a private school. and and for Sife, it was Monroe area or Monroe. I can't remember what the name of the school was, Monroe something. But anyway, but it still was a one pony show. And 
when we showed up on Friday night, whether it be at home or away, you best believe we were going to have a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I got the ML King, it was still that way when I first got the ML King because we were winning and we were successful. Um, but like I, my daughter goes to ML King now and like I go to a DeKalb County game now and there's nobody at the game. And not like it used to. I think, it, I think everybody go to see the road game from what uh, one of the guys told me. But, uh, to me, it's the, the tradition stuff. You know, the tradition is true. You know, you know, from you talking about a married persons who, you know, played for a state championship several times and won a state championship once, um, or Chris County, where you got kids who father played there, uncle played there. You know, it's that tradition to me is is one thing, but up here, that's to me in the city, that's becoming like it's becoming like that now. Like you know, with the Graysons and uh, the North Gwinnett's, because that mentality has kind of spread to North Georgia. But you know, but to me, it's still these fickle fans and I think I, I think I'm saying that right <laughs> the fickle fans fans are not going to show up on Friday nights in Atlanta to every game because the kids got too many things to do they can go to the movies they can go hang out with their buddies or something and the parents are to me the same way you know if unless you just got a strong fan base or a strong tradition in Atlanta I think that that fan base or the support is a little different. You know, I, I just remember when we played, when I was at Mays, uh, we played Jones County in the quarterfinals on Thanksgiving. And I walk in the stadium, uh, Lakewood, I can't remember how many Lakewood, six, six about, I guess about 13,000 people in there. And Jones County side was packed. And when I tell you Jones County had way more fans than we did and we were the home team, I was disappointed. You know, I was, like, highly disappointed. I'm like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. For us to be, at that time, playing in the quarterfinals, we were the only Atlanta public school still playing at that time. I was like, where is everybody at? Now, that changed when we went to Stockbridge. And then, you know, we had support there. And then that changed when we played in a state championship game. But to me, that's probably the biggest difference, just that fan support. You know, I, I played this year, or coached this year, uh, at Lithia, and I tell everybody, you know, you know, people laugh at me because I let Lee County buy us out. I was like, well, I can make more money uh, going down to Lee County for two years, and I'm gonna make probably four games at Lithia Spring because we don't have that fan support like that, mm-hmm. you know. Yet we we don't, you know, we it got better as the year progressed because we were a little more successful. But at the beginning of the year, you know, I probably could have ran through the stadium and not hit anybody, <laughs> you know. It just that's just how it was. <laughs> So, and it's, but I'm, I know that our place is not the only place like that because I, you know, go and scout and go to other games and it's, it's like that a lot in, in the Atlanta area for whatever reason. Yeah, I think it, you know, it has a lot to do with like what you said about who's playing. Like at Newton, when we play East Side, that, that's a, that, anytime Newton plays East Side, it's standing room only in that stadium. That stadium holds about 6,000. It's going to be about seven, 8,000 folks there. Every other game like that at Newton is, was not like that. It was some good pack games. But when Newton played East Side, it was like the game you dream about. But every time we went down to my favorite place on earth to play, which is that concrete palace down there, beautiful Valdosta, Georgia, them fans showing up. And so it's a it's a different world. You know, whether we showed up or not, it was going to be enough fans on my stands. And the, the number of times that we played 
Coach McPherson at Lounge, them fans knew my name when I came out that tunnel. Oh, he come cool pants with them dudes, boys. Y'all finna get spanked again. I mean, but I, I, I loved everything. <laughs> it's, 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 it's different. And then, like you say, the check that Randy McPherson wrote, ooh, Jesus. Uh, people always, you know, it's like that, unfortunately. The check that he can write you to come play him is, is the equivalent of him being UGA and even though we were good at new, he called us Georgia State because the check that he wrote us paid a lot of bills, even after you dealt with expenses. And so, uh, I mean, that just shows you the difference in life in North Georgia and life in South Georgia. Because as long as South Georgia schools can buy out North Georgia schools for $10,000 plus, that means they got fans in the stands. And I don't know any Metro Atlanta school that's willing to spend mm-hmm. a year. So we're talking about 20000 over two years to buy anybody out. So there's definitely a difference in atmosphere. All right. I, I agree as well with both of y'all. Being from, you know, you both you guys are from the Atlanta area. Being from middle Georgia area, you know, coming from Dublin, you know, I kind of grew up with that part of it as well, you know. Uh, on a Friday night, you know, the, the city pretty much shut down, you know, and especially if it was a – a rival game. If it was a West Lawrence Dublin game, you know everybody in the in the in the city in the county was uh, was in attendance. So that when I when I started, you know, when I, when I started coaching, I had to kind of get used to uh, it not being that way, you know. So it's definitely something that uh, I think, like you said, Coach Jarvis, all of us are, are dealing with uh, at this day of time, especially in the metro area. Uh, well, Coach, we're approaching the end of a show. Uh, our final question is kind of like our finisher question. That's what we titled it. We ask. Uh, every guest that comes on the show, the same question. Um, what is the one thing that high school coaches should make sure they're doing in their programs right now? To me, the one thing that high school coaches should make sure that they're doing is probably going to be just exposing their kids to different avenues outside of football. Um, my thing is going to be, once again, from community service hours to uh, SAT, SAT and ACT prep classes. Um, to me, that's exposing your kids that when they get done with football, they're going to be ready for life. Uh, I think that you just got to teach those life lessons and get them ready for life beyond football to me. You know, because like I said, when I got through playing, I tell everybody, Coach Banks don't hurt me, probably say it a million times with me coaching, well, him coaching with me for three years. I didn't know that my last play was my last play. And, you know, eventually it's going to be those guys' last play, whether it be high school, college, or professional. It doesn't matter when it ends, but it's going to end. And if those kids are not ready to deal with becoming just the regular Joe Blow who's going to work every day, they're going to struggle in life. And I don't want to see our kids, you know, go go different routes that I've seen other kids go, and including the kids who I thought I tried, you know, prepare uh, wholeheartedly, but to me, that's the biggest thing. Just teaching those kids those lifelong skills to be prepared outside of football. I agree, coach. That's that's powerful. Uh, I think you know it's got to be bigger than football. You know, I think like like you said, we're 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 potentially uh, preparing these 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 boys to become young men, and uh, at some point they're gonna be somebody's dad, somebody's uh, husband. You know, so we want to make sure that we're instilling the uh, the tools that 
is going to make them successful in life, not just uh, on the field playing football. Uh, well, that's our show. That's our show for today. We want to send a big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and keep the interactions going. You can follow the podcast at Georgia High School Football Chat. That's at G-A-H-S-F-B Chat. You can follow me, Coach Smith, at underscore Coach T. Smith. Again, that's at underscore Coach T. Smith. Coach Banks, how can they keep up with you? T B A N K S one nine zero six T Banks nineteen oh six. Coach Jarvis, how can our listeners keep up with you and the Lithia Springs football program? Uh, I actually have about eighteen Twitter. If I got three, <laughs> three Twitter <laughs> handles. Uh, the main one that I use is the uh, at Coaching Twenty Two. Uh, I do have another one because if you can't follow you on Coaching Twenty Two, because I follow too many people. Uh, I do have Corey Jarvis 15, at Corey Jarvis 15. And then I also have uh, our Lithia Springs website, which is a Twitter page, which is at Lithia F. Well, thank you, Coach. On behalf of our guest, Coach Corey Jarvis, to my co-host, Coach Banks, I'm Coach Smith. And this has been another episode of the Georgia High School Football Chat Podcast with Smitty and Banks, where culture is for coaches. We out. We on the grind in Georgia. Nothing on my mind, but Georgia.